So you're listening to another episode of Q&A. On today's episode, I was joined by Benji Taylor and Nick Tui to look at the topic of the end times. We chatted a bit about uh, the destruction of Jerusalem, the temple, what that means. We chatted about the relationship of fear and love in proclaiming the gospel and, and what that looks like. And we also chatted about coronavirus in context of the end times and whether we should be worried about that and whether that has anything significant for us as Christians thinking about end times. So we really hope you enjoyed the discussion. So we are back. It's really good to have Nick Tui in the studio again. Thank you. And we have the Benji Taylor joining us for his debut podcast episode. How do you feel? Oh, I feel um, pretty excited. Thanks for having me here, Tom and Nick. It's great to have you here, Benji. I feel if there's any um, health issues, medical emergencies, we're covered with uh, the young doctor in training, Benji, here. And look, if there's any nerves, we know that you kicked 100 goals in your footy season. And Did he really? He kicked 100 goals in one footy season. No way. And so if, he's, if this podcast can go anything like that, it's going to be a good 100 one. 100 goals? Wow. Benji, you never told me this. He's a talented man. That's amazing. Yeah, it's going to be a great podcast, I can tell you that. Very good. What a, what a gun. <laughs> so <laughs> now today we're looking at the sermon that Nick delivered just a couple of weeks back called How Does the World End? And we looked at Luke 21. There's obviously a lot of content in that one chapter mm. that you could have spoken about. And you ended up sharing five principles for living in what the New Testament calls the last days, which is the time between Jesus' first coming 2,000 years ago and his second coming. And they were, one, being careful who and what we listen to. Yep. Watch Two, out that you are not deceived, said Jesus. Yep. And the second one was, it was, well, it was an encouragement to share the truth and the good news of Jesus. Yeah, and so you will bear testimony to me, says Jesus. And the third one was to expect and prepare for hard times of suffering. Yep. They will seize you and persecute you. Pretty straightforward. The fourth one was to stay sober, vigilant, and prayerful. Be always on the watch and pray, says Jesus. And the final one was just reminding us that the end of the world is really just the beginning. Mm. They were helpful for giving us perspective around how to approach the end times and how to think about it in a, in a Christian way. But there's obviously things that you probably would have liked to have spoken on that you couldn't have. What were some of those things that... You just didn't have time to speak on? Look, I think you need a lot of time to look at things like, well, what does it look like? You know, what does it talk about a thousand years? Are you pre-millennial, amillennial, post-millennial, post-trib, pre-trib? There's all these different ways, perhaps different theological Christian groups have of understanding what does it look like when Jesus appears again. I think they're very important things, so I didn't look into any of that. Mm. Um, My underlining scriptural basis for my end times theology is... Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, and that is, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So Jesus says, I don't even know the details of that day. (laughs) So I just think Christians, uh, people who get right into heavy detail and try and identify who's the beast, who's the Antichrist, is this event the precursor for the thousand years or whatever? I don't think it's a bad thing in one sense but i think it's a waste of time um Mm. so i think the clear things of the teaching of scripture that that i did bring out were yes jesus says there is an end coming Mm. 
There is a day coming when God appears again on the stage of human history and brings this age and this this human um, social age to an end. Mm. And that's what I want to focus on. Can we get an answer on whether you're a pre or a post or an amillennial? I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> no comment? No comment. No comment. <laughs> what are you, Benji? Are you a pre, post or a millennial? Um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't come to a good <laughs> decision on that. I, either. I don't really have any clue on what they are. <laughs> All right. Wow. Okay. We'll talk about another podcast. Yeah. Talk about another time. One thing that I do want to pick up on, though, was Jesus' prophecy around Jerusalem's destruction. I was doing some research uh, on N.T. Wright's understanding of that, and he talks about uh, the destruction of Jerusalem actually having some big theological implications. And I was wondering whether Nick and Benji, you've seen it, the video, and Nick, whether you've got some more information on that. But w- what is the significance of the destruction of Jerusalem, or is Jesus just flexing that he can <laughs> that he can prophesy? And or like, well, what is the purpose of it? Because I often feel like, in my experience, we've flown over it, and I don't really mm. know what it means. Okay. Just Jerusalem's temple got destroyed, and yeah, yeah, it's something that I also haven't thought a lot about. Um, previously um, but something that struck me um, when I was thinking about this was is there a need for the temple anymore after Jesus um, I guess if we look through the Bible um, as a storyline we know that Jesus that God dwelt with humans in the Garden of Eden um, perfectly um, and then after that, he withdrew his presence somewhat because of um, the fall. Um, eventually, he ends up, um, I guess, symbolically giving his presence back a bit through the tabernacle, um, through Moses. And eventually, when Solomon builds the temple, um, you know, very symbolic gestures of of God dwelling amongst his people. And then um, when Jesus comes along, he talks... Um, almost as if he is now this, in some some ways, a new temple. He's Emmanuel, God with us, God dwelling amongst us. And so he becomes that. And then once he leaves, um, we read in 1 Corinthians that we are now temples, that God <coughs> himself uh, dwells in us. And so, um, yeah, something I hadn't thought about, um, the fact that possibly now that, now that God is um, dwelling in us in a different way, that the temple's perhaps um, coming to an end is is possibly um, something that's symbolic in regards to that that um, era ending in some regards. What do you think, Nick? That's well said. I, I love what you said. Uh, I think there's that element of the new covenant for Christians. Jesus brings in the new covenant, the new agreement between God and humanity that that transcends and supersedes and replaces the old covenant. None of the old covenant, effectively, it was it was ethnically bound. So it was for Jews. It was for a nation, for a race. It was it was geographically bound. So it was for a place. Jerusalem was was the dwelling place of God, uh, and the temple was was the you know the center of God's presence on earth. So when Jesus comes, he 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 brings in the the new covenant, the the kingdom. Uh, the kingdom that that he that he inaugurates, it's no longer ethnically bound. So now the 
access to God is open to all tribes. At the end of Matthew, Jesus says, go out and make disciples of all ethne, that's the Greek word, all ethnic groups, all, all ethnicities. Everyone gets invited now, so it's not ethnically bound. And then he sends the Spirit upon those who believe that the presence of God now comes to dwell, as Benji said, and as the Apostle Paul said before Benji, we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. So the the faith of Israel is no longer geographically bound. And I think the destru- destruction of the temple um, is a great ending of that in many ways. And it, it does foreshadow that Jesus, you know, can predict and prophesy the future. Now, the interesting thing is that liberal scholars will, will look at those texts in the New Testament and go, aha, here's proof that Matthew, Mark, and, and John were written, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written post AD 70. Because we know historically that the temple was destroyed in AD 70. Was it by Titus? Anyway, some Roman emperor. Um, and we know that. So, um, therefore, he must, the church must have written this after mm. to kind of put it back and make sense of the temple. And now that's just a liberal theological position because they don't hold to any supernatural ability that Jesus might have had. But if Jesus was the Son of God, if he was endowed by God's Spirit, as we believe he was, it's very um, likely that he can predict this event happening. Uh, but that's just a side thing. Um, mm. Yeah, I, personally, I think Jesus prophesies this and the church records it in the gospels um and he spoke of it before it happened Uh, there's no reason to think why the son of god in the flesh can't foretell events in you know 37 years after he's crucified and raised to life yeah that's really fascinating though because like what you're both saying is that this is almost like a a marker saying the end of the old covenant Mm. the end of the old way god used to relate to his people has ended and now the new way the the way of the spirit the way that the way of jesus being in us by his spirit is the way that god dwells with his people Mm. it's now with us yeah and perhaps that was even um realized a bit earlier when you know even with the tearing of the the curtain in the temple um that itself was i guess um an illustration that that there's no longer one place that you can go and find the presence of yeah. God. And so perhaps the destruction of the temple is just the closure of that whole process. And if you go to Jerusalem today, and I've been to Jerusalem twice in the past eight years, and I've gone and stood at the western wall of the temple that was built by King Herod and where Jesus would have walked along, and I've walked up the steps where Jesus would have walked into the, the temple area. You know, thousands of Jews gather there every day and they cry out and they pray and they're longing for the temple to come back. They're longing for the temple to be reestablished on, on the Temple Mount, mm. uh, which is now the Dome of the Rock Mosque. But that they're longing for that because they're, they're longing for God to come back, you know, for the presence of God to come back and dwell with them again. So they want the temple to, to come back and they pray there at that wall. And it's it's called the Wailing Wall, I think, in part because they're, they're crying out. They're weeping for the, the loss of the temple, of the presence of God on earth. But for Christians, we say, well, it's not coming back and it's been replaced by something far better, which is faith in Jesus, the Son of God, and salvation through him and the gift of the Holy Spirit that he gives regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your geographical location. That's far better. Yeah, and I guess obviously we're only just scraping the surface of this 
chapter and the significance of temple and the significance of uh, the destruction of the temple. So if you do want more information, contact Benji or Nick. They they should be able to point you in the, at least the right direction. But I do want to I want to ask a few more questions about just end times more generally. Often Christians have been conflated with people who are trying to scare people to becoming Christian. That they, they they say that the end of the world is is near and you've got to get right with God or you're going to burn in hell. And it, it's and they just often try and use fear to motivate people to become Christians. Now, in my experience of Christianity, fear is never something that should be used. But how how does this passage sort of fit in that? Because I, I find that Jesus is using quite strong language around end times and what that looks like. And even other books have quite strong language. So how do we balance not using fear as a driving motivation to, for people to become Christian with the strong language that Jesus and other books in the Bible use. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, and, and it might come as a pushback against old-time preaching, perhaps that, you know, said, if, if you if you were to walk out of here tonight and, and get hit by a bus, do you know where you would spend eternity? And as Tony Campolo, the preacher, once said, you know, when I heard those messages, it didn't really make me a Christian, but I was much more careful when I crossed the road. Uh, and that's a good point. But <laughs> I think there's also an assumption there, Tom, that that fear is a bad motivating factor. Um, uh, maybe it's not the best, but if, if you're walking through a forest in, in Canada or somewhere where there's huge bears and you see a huge bear come out onto the path 100 meters ahead, you're going to have a fear reaction, a massive fear reaction. And that's going to be a very good thing. So it's going to shoot adrenaline into your system. It's going to get everything ready and you're going to be ready to run very, very fast. So in that sense, fear is a great motivator. Without fear, you could just stand there. You, you could be paralyzed. Um, so I'm not saying it's it's ideal, but I think, I think that the question for me would be, if something makes me afraid, what I want to know, is it true? Mm. If it's true, then it's okay to be afraid. If, if we're, we're scaring people with something that's fake, then, then that's obviously not good. Mm. But Jesus is saying here something that, that is true, that, that this is going to happen. If it does induce fear in us at some point, um, that could be a helpful motivation to say, actually, there's a big bear there and I need to get ready because otherwise that bear could tear me to pieces. Mm. And we could say, oh, there's an end day coming. There's a point at which I'm going to stand before the living God and give an account. I need to get my life sorted. Yeah. I think that's not a bad thing. Yeah, I feel like we're not, we're, we're given a gospel message to proclaim and we're not told to to use, to, to speak it or frame it in a way that's going to induce certain emotions to people. We're called to, to speak the gospel in love. Um, but, but as we do that, the truth of the gospel um, can be fear-evoking and um, offensive, but we're called to give that message. And the fear response that is possible to happen in people, that's that's the emotion they're feeling on response of the message. Um, and so I, I think that, as Nick said, that's a perhaps a perfectly uh, normal reaction for people to feel when presented with the truth of um, death and it, and heaven and hell um, and it's not necessarily I don't think it's a good thing for us to be trying to instill that fear in people no. but if we 
present the gospel truthfully and in love, then it's possibly um, a natural reaction for for people to experience. And ultimately, if they do end up, um, you know, accepting that message, then then perfect love does drive out fear if they, mm. you know, accepting Jesus. But um, I, yeah, I don't think we should be aiming to to strike fear no. into people. But 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 the message we believe is one that if you don't if if you're not right with mm. God, then it, it's naturally probably going to bring yeah and just on that quickly i think in regards to children i think in the church community and in christian community we need to be particularly careful with the images and and things we use around children mm. you know, particularly around judgment and hell and end times and death um, i think there's a, a point at which someone's more able emotionally and, and intellectually mm. able to understand these things and we need to be a little bit careful perhaps how how we present these weighty grave truths Mm. um, to children i I guess where i'm coming from because i actually agree with what you have said Uh, you have nuanced the question um a lot better than how i framed it but i guess where i'm coming from is the gospel isn't creation fall judgment and then end of story it's it's creation for redemption hope so i i feel like when the gospel is preached, it shouldn't, the, the final emotion that you experience after hearing the gospel proclaimed clearly and in love shouldn't be necessarily fear. Maybe, maybe I still am being too strong. Are you talking more about our, how we obey God? So we ultimately, the gospel shouldn't lead to an obedience to God that's based on fear. That's exactly what I'm saying. That, that I need to obey God because if I don't, I'm going to be punished and separated from him for eternity. So I'm going to serve him and obey him out of fear because I don't want to be separate. It should be out of love. Once we receive the gospel and we you know, we obey out of love, you know, we, we don't obey out of fear. So maybe there's a distinction there that's important. But for my own personal journey, fear was a big part of becoming a Christian for me, um, just in terms of, of beginning to think about um, the afterlife, to think about heaven and hell. In, in When I was in a state of, of unregeneration and when I was not a Christian, and I was starting to hear the, the teaching of Jesus, starting to understand the, the worldview of the Bible and the, 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 the reality of, of God's kingdom and heaven and the reality of hell and judgment, I felt fear and I felt appropriate fear because I was not uh, in a position where I was right with God. I was not saved. I was not forgiven. I was not um, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I was not cleansed and forgiven from my sins. And in that state, yes, I felt some genuine fear. Mm. Um, it's like when you read um, Isaiah when he he is before God in that vision and right, he's yeah. terrified yeah. because he says, I'm, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And it's like God is actually, if you're not right before God, there is a, a fear or a scariness about God and his judgment. Yeah, um, definitely. I looked up the definition of fear and it says... An unpleasant emotion caused by the threat of danger, pain, or harm. And I guess reflecting on that definition, it makes me think, yeah, there there is like like you're saying, there is a a danger there. But the the good news is that there is a solution to that danger. I think mm-hmm. that's what I'm trying to get at is that yes, I guess you're right. We should be slightly fearful of that threat because it is a it is dangerous. It is a threat. Like there is a reality that we are going to have to uh, face consequences for the actions that we have um, had done throughout our lives 
Yeah, because the good news of the gospel yeah. is that there is a solution. Now. There is. The gospel is a response to a number of problems, but one of them being that sinful human beings cannot dwell with a holy God, that we are separated from God through our sin, through our uncleanness, through our guilt and shame. And, and the gospel addresses that. Um, and I think that the Greek word for a fear is phobos, uh, where we get the word phobia. Uh, and um, I just thought I'd throw that in there as just an extra. Love it. Yeah, so I think that is a really good uh, place to sit with that question. Um, because the, the gospel is good news. Mm. It, it, that, that the gospel is a good news and it should, uh, it is a solution to that fear that we're just talking about. Um, but finally, just one last question. Obviously, when the coronavirus was at its peak, there was a lot of fear in the community, a lot of fear amongst Christians as well. I was just getting a haircut the other day and he was just mentioning when it was at its peak, he was genuinely scared. Like he was quite scared. And I think the question got floated a lot in Christian circles. Are we in the end times? Is it, is this uh, is this something that we should be paying attention to? And I felt like the initial reaction was like, no, duh, this is obviously not the end times. But as it's gone on, it's just made me think, maybe we should be paying more attention to it. Not because this is the end times in the sense of Jesus' second return is coming right now, but maybe there is more to it in the sense of it just um, raising other things to the foreground, uh, questions around actually is going to be an end and there there are things out of our control and... Uh, ideas like that what like what do you guys think i was just chipping one thing i wanted to say in the message that i didn't was the sick the cyclical nature of biblical apocalyptic so there's a sense in which you you read the bible and you can see that there's there's a cycle of of things beginning and things coming to an end and what humans have done including christians over the years have have tried to mark particular events and times and and situations as this this now is the end so whether it was martin luther in the 1500s whether it was um other other christian leaders in the early centuries said these these political social events these plagues these are signs that the end has come that the end has come and it just wasn't right obviously they were wrong because we're still here so there's a sense in which the end of the world cycles through like a spiral the biblical apocalyptic is, you know, evil empires rise and they oppress and crush people. Pandemics break out. There's wars. There's natural disasters. These things happen in, as cycles and then people go, this is it. This, this is the end. There, there will come a point in, in biblical apocalyptic um, theology where there will be one last cycle. One last generation will be the last cycle. So it wasn't Martin Luther in the 1500s when he saw the peasant revolt and all the upheaval of Europe and he said, the end has come. This is Martin Luther, the great reformer. He's like, you know, the end has come. This is the end, the end time. It's here. It wasn't. It was just a cycle. It was just a, a cycle that looked like the end. But for one generation, at one point in history, there will come a point where the last cycle happens. And it is the end of the world. And God does come again and Christ does appear. Is that our generation? Is coronavirus a part of that? Well, maybe. Let's face it. There's more odds of it being in our favor than it was 500 years ago for Martin Luther. But at the other hand, let's be sober and humble that many faithful, good Christian people have thought so in previous times and been wrong. But the possibility exists that we are in a final, the final cycle. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with what um, you've said, Nick. And 
even what you said earlier, it's clear, Jesus is very clear that we aren't going to know the exact time. And so when people get up and announce this particular date um, or, or say, this is it, um, I think it's quite foolish. And even, um, you know, you look at the Old Testament and if someone was to, to, pro- to make a prophecy like a, a, this is from God, and it didn't happen. The punishment was actually for them to get put to death. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not um, saying that's what we should do, but I'm just saying it is a serious thing for people to, to try and play God and say this is, I, I've got this special knowledge that the end times is coming. So I think it's, as Nick said, it's just a, it's a waste of time, but it's also foolish to do that. But I think we, and it, and it shouldn't change how we live. Um, I think we're called to live, whether or not there are signs of the end times. Um, that Jesus talked about, we we are always called to live, mm. to be ready, to be sober-minded, and to to be alert, and just to be to be living a life. If I found out that Jesus was coming back in a year's time, it was it would probably change the way I live, but it shouldn't. I should already be mm. living that way. Um, That's so a great I, great way to say it. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So I think there's, you know, it's for people. It, it might be really interesting, but we already know how to live and those prophecies aren't going to enlighten us any more than what Mm. Jesus already has, I think. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's where I think there can be a bit of a satanic um, sort of distraction when when we get too obsessed by dates, times, events. And, And what you're saying, Benji, is, well, nothing changes. Even if we knew the date, we still seek to be faithful to Christ. We still seek to bear witness to him, to to show the love that he calls us to show, to worship God. You know, in that sense, what changes even if we did know the day? Um, we, we should be living like that anyway. Mm. Yeah, I think that's actually such a good point, Benj. And I'm also reminded of the final point that Nick, you shared in this message, which was uh, which was the end of the time, the end of the world is just the beginning. And that actually should be an encouragement like for the Christian. The end of the world shouldn't be a scary thing. It should, yes, probably what you're saying, Benji, motivate us to probably be more event. Not probably, we should be more evangelistic. We should be more urgent in our desire to see our families and friends and uh, people that we don't even know to that we want them to come and have a relationship with Jesus. Not only for that to transform their life now, but also to secure them eternally. But for the Christian, we should have a deep-seated assurance knowing that we are in relationship with God. God has got us. Nothing's going to pluck us from His hand. Mm. And He's going to carry us through because the cross shows us that our punishment was paid for in full. In full. And we don't have to uh, worry that God's going to try and exact more punishment on us when He comes again and go, I'm going to throw you into hell as well. That's rubbish. That's completely why Jesus came. That's why the gospel is good news. We don't need to be worried coming into the end times. No. And I think of uh, the great apologist Ravi Zacharias, who died just today, earlier mm. today in America. You know, 74 years of age, I think. If you could ask Ravi right now, Ravi, would you like to come back to earth and keep doing your ministry? Even though he's doing great ministry, he would love his family, have his friends. I doubt he or anyone who has had the chance to be in God's presence and see a glimpse of the kingdom of God and the presence of God and, and to see Christ, um, I doubt anyone would say, yeah, I want to go back to my earthly life. You know, I just don't think that would happen. Hmm. It's, it's conjecture, but 
um, I just think, yeah, we're sad to lose people and, and Christian people like of, of his magnitude die. It kind of fills a bit of a hole in, in one sense. But on the other hand, I'm, I'm so happy for him mm. that he his, his salvation is, is fully vindicated. His faith is vindicated mm. and his life of service and ministry for Christ. You know, this is the goal. Mm. And, and I doubt he would want to come back here for all the money and all the fame in the world. Mm. Mm. No, I think you're on the money there. And I think that is a great place to end today's episode. So firstly, big thank you to Benji. First podcast, thanks for joining. Oh, he did a great job. He did. Benji, he set the bar high there for he did. Oh, first please. time attending. And Nick, once again, always good to have you on. It's great to be here, back in Crispin's room. It even smells a bit better than the last time we were in here. <laughs> I think he's cleaned it up. I reckon It looks has. very good in here. He's done, he's done well. It looks very good. Secondly, for those who are listening, I mentioned this last week, but... We would love to make room for audience questions. So if you have any, please text them through. I've put the phone number in the episode bio in the show notes. So you can find the phone number there. Text them through. We'd love to address them, chat about them, and attempt to answer them. But on that note, thank you so much for listening, and you'll hear more from us next week. <laughs>